It's time for the LaneCast with Montana's very own Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland, your voice for agriculture. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agriculture Conversation right here on the Langcast Ag Podcast. And today we have a room full of agriculture leaders from across the nation with the Farmers Union organizations. I'm just going to quickly walk down the line. We have Mark Watney out of the North Dakota Farmers Union Group. And then from Wisconsin, we have Darren Von Ruden. I didn't say Van. I got it right. And then we got Doug Somke there from South Dakota. Gary Wordish. I almost, I was going so smooth. And I, that dang dash I had in there for phonetics. Gary Wordish is uh, from Minnesota. And then, of course, we have Alan Merrill here from the great state of Montana. Everyone's microphones are on the table here, so I'm just going to keep talking until someone grabs one. But, uh, Mark, welcome to Montana. How, how are things over in your neck of the woods here this fall? Well, we've interesting fall. We've had our first snowstorm. We've got, uh, Almost all our corn and beans underneath, uh, not so much snow anymore, but lots of water. And uh, harvest has probably been the most challenging we've seen forever. So it's a interesting year and low prices, but you know our farmers are really optimistic and they, they will come through this. They'll figure out how to get the crop off as best they can and then we'll go from there. Darren, for yourself or Wisconsin, what are some of those uh, commodities or, or livestock? But what's your operation look like, and what's the feeling out in the countryside? Yeah, so uh, we own a 50-cow organic dairy farm in uh, southwest Wisconsin, about 35 miles southeast of, south, southeast of La Crosse. Um, right now, the, the milk markets are starting to come up a little bit, but they're still way too low for what it takes to, to produce that stuff. Um, we've been struggling, like, you know, the whole upper Midwest with the weather this year are um, corn silage harvest is about three weeks behind, so uh, farmers are trying to finish that up right now. Uh, the, the dry corn shelling is uh, happening in the southern part of the state, but the rest of the state, it's uh, either the corn's too wet or the ground is too wet, one or the other. So it's been a it's been a, a tough fall for just about every commodity around. Doug, how about for yourself over there in uh, South Dakota? Pretty much, uh, just as Mark described and, and Darren, <clears throat> nothing's different. Uh, we've we've got a lot of uh, uh, disheartened farmers. I'll just tell you that. I mean, they they work very hard to try to get the crop in, um, and then it's late, and now they're looking at uh, wet conditions, wet corn, uh, wet soybeans, and um, at the same time, uh, the corn a lot of it's not even black layered, and uh, it's been hit with frost. So probably going to be light and chaffy. Um, the cattle, the livestock, a um, lot of uh, problems last uh, spring calving uh, with the cold, wet, late s- snowstorms, now the early snowstorms. Um, we're seeing uh, uh, not so much uh, uh, problems with the health conditions of them right now um, because most of them passed on early on uh, when they were first born. We'll move on over to Minnesota there, Gary. Uh Obviously, we all have the, we understand the sentiment out in the countryside, but what, what's the, the summer and fall been like uh, for, for your fellow producers and yourself? Well, it's a lot like the mid, really in the Midwest, we had a lot of the same issues. And uh, Minnesota, we've had a very challenging year starting out in the spring. We have a lot of acres that didn't get planted because they just, too much rainfall, just couldn't get in. Then we have a lot of acres that got planted late. So then uh, follow that up with a very, a cooler than normal summer. So we had, you know, we didn't have a real warm Lot, not a lot of heat growing, growing heat degree days, uh, and now topping off with the uh, late harvest. 
you know, the crop got planted late, so we had a later start. And then with the excessive rainfall, you know, we had one area way up in the northwest that really avoided uh, the heavy rainfalls during the year. So they had a really nice-looking crop up there, but now they've got an excessive amount of rain this fall. So there's probably in that area, there's going to be crop that won't get harvested. And the rest of the state, you know, it's a challenge. You know, we're working at it the best we can, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of... A lot of combines and stuff getting stuck and tractors, but uh, you're getting at it the best they can. But, you know, there's a lot of challenges, a lot of uncertainty, and that's, the you know, the, right now everybody's just focused on trying to get the crop out. Yep. Alan, for yourself, uh, we have a lot of listeners, of course, here in Montana, but uh, what's it been like up in your area, and uh, what's been the sentiment from your fellow Farmers Union members here at uh, the 104th Convention that uh, we're currently talking at? First of all, I'd like to thank uh, the other four states that are here sitting around this table. And uh, I've learned a lot throughout the years with these guys. And sometimes they blame Montana for sending weather their way. Well, I just got off the weather thing, and the weather's heading, <laughs> heading at least to South and North Dakota. So uh, we look outside right now, there's three, four inches on the ground out here. But uh, I think a lot of the uh, winter wheat in Montana got planted, but believe it or not, I think farmers are starting to realize you can't keep planting all this winter wheat, and so they've not planted as much in Montana. So we're looking at alternative crops, uh, maybe spring wheat, barley, or more, but winter wheat is, we're just overloaded right now. So uh, other than that, I'm, I'm optimistic about the young people that are uh, trying to come in and uh, it, it takes us to, to uh, transition in to their, their thinking. So that's Montana for right now. Now, of course, uh, the reason we all gathered was really talk about uh, Farmers Union Industries and some other aspects uh, that uh, your states have and your associations and the co collaboration you have uh, with each other. But I, I think I, I, I would be remiss to not uh, talk about some of these challenges that we have in the countryside. And one area that I am really not familiar with, just because we we only have about 18,000 dairy cows in the state of Montana. And, and Darren, um, you know, we hear a lot about the, the dairy situation, uh, the, the conflicts we've had with the Canadian dairy market. Um, let's just talk about the state of the dairy industry in your neck of the woods, you know, the, the struggles that so many are going through and, and maybe maybe some bright spots that, that could be down the road. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, in the state of Wisconsin, we're losing two dairy farms a day right now. Um, you know, so with the uptick in the market prices, that might slow down. It might not. Uh, you know, we're in our fifth year now of uh, low prices, prices two to two to five dollars below production costs. Uh, and so, you know, that's that's the real struggle. Uh, you know, a lot of farmers are, you know, they've just lost their heart you know and how, how do you come back and and get back into it there's some that sold you know sold out early so that they could save and maybe keep some assets and get back into the business in six months or a year or maybe 18 months uh, a lot of those guys are at that point in time now where you know it's just not improving enough so we're probably not going to get back into it uh, um, you know, probably a bright spot that, that we've been working on, and it's through funds from Farmers Union Enterprises, uh, working on a program called the Dairy Together uh, program. And what we're doing is trying to uh, come up with a supply management, inventory management, um, supply control mechanism. If You know, there's many different ways that we can call it, but really what we need to do is, you know, try to figure out how to supply or how to balance supply and demand. And 
Um, we've gotten quite a bit of attention back in July or in September at National Farmers Union's fly-in. We hosted a couple of uh, the different meetings with our elected officials and their staff on, on both sides, uh, one in the House and one in the Senate. There was between 35 and 40 offices at uh, both of those meetings. Uh, the, the Senate side was really encouraging to me because we had both the minority leader and the majority leader of the Ag Committee um, had two people there from both of those offices, and they asked the, the appropriate questions. Uh, we've got uh, Dr. Mark Stevenson and Dr. Chuck Nicholson out of Wisconsin and, and uh, uh, New York uh, have got a program that uh, was actually part of the 2012 uh, Farm Bill discussion and looking at where those numbers are today, if we actually had that program in the 2014 Farm Bill, we probably would have seen at least a dollar and a half more on the pay price over the previous five years, and that might have saved you know half the farms that uh, have since went out of business. And you know, just the, some of the other numbers on a national scale uh, back in 2018, 3,712 dairy farms went out of business across the whole nation, and so you know it's it's a struggle. And one thing that we've worked at you know here at Farmers Union Enterprise too is trying to figure out how we can uh, balance supply and demand in most commodities, you know, not just dairy. We've, we're trying to figure out how we can make sure that we're not uh, wasting our natural resources. And, you know, the number one natural resource that we have in all of our states is water, which we have way too much of today. But what's going to happen with our kids and our grandkids? And, you know, if we don't conserve that today, uh, what's going to happen with, with our grandkids? Now, uh, once in a while, you run into, I run into elected officials in airports quite a bit and had the chance to probably talk for an hour with uh, Colin Peterson uh, this would have been last summer and just just sat down and talked to them we were talking about the dairy margin protection program uh, could you talk a little more about that and uh, and maybe the, some of the benefits with that or maybe some of the concerns you have with it well certainly you know the 2018 farm bill now there's a, a little bit better uh, part of the mechanism in in the MPP program and it's um, called the it's, change names now again and I can't think of it right offhand but you know it's an insurance-based program um, and for the first year the majority of farmers are should be signing up for it because it's going to um, put some more dollars in their back pocket uh, going forward looking at futures markets and what what you're gonna have to pay for premiums because they're there was a real push the first year to get people to sign up, so the premium subsidy was a little bit higher. Uh, you know, going forward, there's a lot of guys that are really questioning whether or not they should do it. Uh, I think uh, you know, a good 55 to 60 percent of producers signed up for the program for the first year, but only about 10 percent signed up for the full farm bill life cycle. So, you know, it's. I think there's a lot of farmers out there that really want to see something different on the pricing side right now. Uh, we've been living with this program since the early 90s, and you know it's based off of the uh, CME uh, price that's really, in a lot of people's mind, is manipulated. Uh, you know, less than half a percent of all the milk in the country is actually traded on that market. So you know you've got five or six big players, and then you have one or two that come in on a very you know maybe once every four months they come in so those you know five big players in that they really kind of set the price and so we need to look at something different uh, fluid milk sales have been on a downward tread for a couple of decades now cheese consumption continues to grow but farmers pay prices go down and you know if you're if you're selling enough of the product you would think that supply and demand would would recognize a higher price
do you gentlemen want to jump in on the dairy conversation? Well, I think that this, of course, I want to talk about trade, but I think you mentioned, uh, of course, uh, just just marketing uh, dairy. How is uh, the labeling of other beverages, uh, alternatives such as almond beverage? That's I I refer, I refer to it as the Canadian terms or almond drink. That's that's my term. Uh, almond soy. As a producer, how, how has that impacted you? Um, what are your thoughts on it, and uh, where where would you like to to see things head? Uh, you know, I certainly agree with you on that. It, you know, which it shouldn't be using the word uh, almond milk or or soy milk. Uh, you know, the official de- ter- definition by most people's standards is uh, you know milk actually has to come from mammary, and I have not seen those on almonds or soybeans yet at all. Um, but you know, and it's one of those things that there's there's rules that are being broken, and and we just don't have the 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 elected officials or our judicial system to make that happen. Um, you know, it should be juice or drink or something like that. Uh, but you know, what we're looking at on a more broad scale outside of the dairy industry too, right now is what's happening with meats and, and the forever meats, you know, that are, that are out there that are not, you know, really are not meat and shouldn't be called burgers neither really. And so the, the labeling issue is a big thing. And one thing that we've worked on at national farmers union too, is the, cool country of origin labeling and you know when 90 percent of the consumers want to see their where their food comes from um you look at the back of your shirt you know where that comes from but the the um, lettuce or the strawberry or the cantaloupe that you're eating this morning you have no idea where that comes from most of the time so what are some of the uh the uh options that uh, your states are looking at and uh, National Farmers Union is looking at and and how to get around that World Trade Organization ruling uh, on that uh, determined uh, why Congress repealed in 2015 uh, pork and beef country of origin labeling. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we're looking at, <clears throat> excuse me, changing uh, the language, the way we talk about this. I mean, what are we looking for? We're looking truth in labeling. So let's call it that. Let's call it truth in labeling. And then when... Uh, put a requirement on that if uh, you have 70% uh, American, 30% imported, say that. And if, if the importers want their country listed, list it. Um, that, that is all WTO compliant, and, and it gets us out of that box that they put us in. Um, but as far as WTO goes, I, I think everyone should be aware that uh, they're in trouble. Uh, that that uh, organization is is probably on its last leg. Uh, they don't have a lot of respect around the world anymore. Um, so what's going to happen when that's gone? And I guess the way we're approaching it in South Dakota is we're not going to wait for that. We're going to introduce uh, language at our state level uh, to to address the truth and labeling uh, language in South Dakota. I'd like to you know add to that conversation that truth and labeling is the is really the key component that needs to be addressed because we're um, we're misleading the consumer in a lot of the way we market and advertise, and and I think that's so sad because a lot of times we're told uh, you know the consumer gets to choose, but if you don't tell them the truth, uh, their choice might be based on something that's not accurate. Um, I'd I'd like to dig just a little deeper into uh, um, more of a generality here. Part of the problem we have with uh, uh, these uh, just at the moment issues like the weather. Um, like uh, um, a trade barrier, is that we haven't put the structure in place that really rewards farmers and ranchers, whether they're dairy or wheat or cattle, 
for paying them a level of income that can sustain themselves. So whenever these crises come up, they're substantially more serious because we don't have a system in place. Uh, we built farm policy on a budget crisis for years, and, and now it's not at a sustainable level. Um, we, at the mercy of the farm, we keep a cheap food policy that's probably a good thing uh, for the consumer, but nobody wants to pay for it. So if you want to deal with agriculture, you've got to put the value on what food really is, and you've got to create the system where um, you have a desire to maintain a series of farms, diverse farms, out across the countryside that's in the interest of the security of the nation, and you make that system work. Then we don't have to have um, these huge discussions on these immediate issues at hand. And then you have a federal government that's out there trying to create demand instead of kill demand. So that's really what we got to start fighting for long-term. And then, of course, you got to work on the short-term stuff. But the long-term stuff is so more important. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, and to add to what Mark just said, uh, you know, um, it's real hard for the consumer to understand when you hear agribusiness and, and agriculture. And um, there's a big difference. And agribusiness is doing really fine under this system. Uh, but agriculture, farmers, family farmers, and ranchers aren't. Um, we've got to we've got to get to the point, like Mark said, uh, where that farmer with that huge capital that he's got invested in his land, his equipment, his his livestock, he's getting rewarded for that. Um, right now, we've got uh, agribusiness are uh, reaping the rewards of of our high cost of our of capital, but they're the ones reaping the reward. Um, just for instance, uh, if you look at the spread between what uh, hamburger sells for in the grocery store and what the farmer's getting paid uh, on the hoof, um, that big split, that big difference uh, is, is huge. And in a month, just in a month, the four big, uh, four companies make $2.1 billion a month. Um, that's real money. Uh, and you know, it's not saying they shouldn't make it, make a living, but for crying out loud, not on the back of, of the consumer and of the, the producer who has a huge uh, investment. I think we got to look at this. What can we do in our own country? Because our travels around the world, farmers are struggling around the world to make a profit. You know, we're all in this together no matter where you are. So just think of it. You know, there's a lot of political, it's very political. You know, we're going to export our way. We're going to do all these trade agreements and everything will be just fine. But in reality, that's not the case. We have we have to create more demand within our own country and, uh, you know, ethanol or whatever, whatever it is. You know, we talk about uh, packers, uh, the meat packers or the agribusiness getting too much profit off of us, you know, off the farmer. The, on our National Farmers Union, our... We, do, we publish that, I think, every month, a uh, farmer's share of the food dollar. It's about 14 cents, approximately. And, you know, that, that's, the, that's really the, where we have to focus on trying how do we get more of the consumer dollar to the farmer so the farmer can have a livable price, to have a livable wage, pay for his in labor and investment, and yet the consumer has affordable food supply. You know, we're, we're talking, oh, Alan. One thing that uh, I think it was mentioned, well, I don't think it was mentioned uh, last night with Roger Johnson and a few president, is that I remember exactly when Earl Butts came out and said, get big or get out. And for, I was just a young guy then, and that really bothered me. So Montana Farmers, or Montana Farmers Union, along with the other states right here around this table, that goes contrary. It goes contrary. It just throws it right in your face, and that's not what we're about. The, it's family farming. If we do go that way, uh, it will be a disaster in agriculture. 
It, it truly will be, and I, I, can't, I can't abide by that. I can't do it. So I will fight, and I know these guys around the table right here now will fight the same fight. And if we lose, we lose, but we're going to go down knowing that we gave it a, a big shot. You know, we talk about all these issues, and uh, you, you, you have some resources here at the Montana Farmers Union Convention to talk about mental health. And in the countryside, we all know the, the statistics. It's a very high, high number of uh, suicide rates, mental health issues. Um, and it's an issue that's hard to talk about. But uh, the collaboration between the National Farmers Union and the American Farm Bureau and the state affiliates and just leaders like yourself stepping up and saying it's okay to talk about it. Could, could you imagine even 40 years ago, 20 years ago, talking about this issue because it's uh, uh you got a you got a little scrape rub a little dirt in it but it's a it's a true issue darren you grab the microphone Do, please, please elaborate more yeah well you know it's certainly it's one of those things uh i i'm, I'm getting weekly calls from dairy farmers that are you know just wondering what what they can do, um, why, why the situation's not getting any better, and, and where where to go basically, and you know it's 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 really hard because you don't know what's on the other end of that phone line most of the time. You know, is, does that gentleman or lady have you know a, a weapon in their hands that could go off at any point in time? Um, but you know, one one thing that I try to instill in the, the folks that call me with those struggles is it, you know it's really the system. The system is set up to make you fail. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to put a system in place that will make sure that diversity stays number one. Um, and, that, and that means keeping more farms on in business rather than fewer. And, and so it, it, it's the region I live in right now is the number one uh, area for bankruptcies in the whole nation, um, southwest Wisconsin. So we certainly have a lot of neighbors and friends uh, that are in struggling right now and to um you know try to give them a little bit of hope is what what i try to do um you know it doesn't always work because they you know turn around and the banker or the veterinarian or the feed supplier shows up and says i need that check yesterday and how do how do you deal with that uh, you know so it, it's really a, a rough time and with the weather that we've been talking about it just adds that extra layer of stress you, you know, I'll never forget, uh, two years ago at the National Farmers Union flying in D.C., we were all gathered at USDA's conference center. And kind of getting choked up just thinking about this, but uh, uh, a lady got up and was talking. I think, was it a Department of Labor official or someone at USDA was, was speaking? And a gal got up and, and her husband had committed suicide just weeks before that. And to not see that this, that's a red flag, but to see her, you know, uh, the importance for her to get up and share that story, but it touches all of us. Um, yeah, it. it yeah, we. Doug. Um, <clears throat> we've had extended family that um, this has happened to them in the past, and it does it does strike you and it stays with you. Um, one of the other challenges uh, that farmers are facing with all of this is the fact that they're it's they're the third or fourth or fifth generation farm and how did my family make it and I can't that you know that's a lot of burden on their on their backs and um, you know we try to we try to let them know that you know it, it's okay you know it's it, I'll guarantee you that there were times that somewhere in your family's history they were losing some equity or were selling some assets so that they could continue to go on and then rebuild later 
Um, and no one remembers that kind of stuff. All they remember is the stuff that is on your plate right now. And those are the challenges that we try to address and, and uh, let people know that it's okay. You know, don't, don't feel like you're losing because you have to sell something just because you're going to stay in this for another day. Um, and <clears throat> when I talk about this, it, I, I, again, I, I'm right with you. I get a little choked up because there's personal uh, stories I could share, and it, it's, it's challenging. It, 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 uh, what I hate hearing, and I see this all the time, whether it's on social media, Facebook, uh, Twitter, whatever, is all you need to do is work harder. I've heard that all my life. And uh, um, those people that I know that took their lives, they were working as hard as they could. They, they just got over, overcome. And uh, that's, that's where we got to not only have uh, our government involved, but we got to have our clergy involved as well. Local communities talking to each other, local, uh, local banks and, and uh, anywhere, you know, the post office. My wife used to work at the post office, and she could tell day to day when people came in the, what the stress they were under uh, at the time. And, and uh, you know, those are the type of people that we got to have watching for these signals so that we can help these people at, at, at time of need. Uh, I just received uh, three phone calls last week from wives of farmers that are, they're, they're worried, they're scared, they're afraid they're, when they go out, they're not going to come home the next morning. That's, that's hard to take. I know uh, in Montana we have some resources of working with extension agents uh, to try and get education, to, to, to identify those warning signs and, and do some training. Um, of course, the big question is how, how do we solve this all? So could I ask uh, in your states or with National Farmers Union, what, what are some of those tools, um, some of those uh, uh, resources in that toolbox that uh, you're, you're hoping to equip other people with? Well, we've uh, set up a series of meetings with uh, Lutheran Social Services and uh, Human Services Extension. Uh, we have a little um, bootstraps brochure that has all the phone numbers that can go out. It fits in the pocket. Um, just lately, uh, and, and this is not my idea, my staff came up with the concept of uh, them going out and, and jumping in the combine with a few snacks and uh, riding around with the farmer and letting them know that uh, the farm organization's out there trying to uh, help as much as we can and you're not alone in this, in this endeavor. And, and, and just remind people that uh, the climate you're trying to operate in is stacked against you. This is not a personal fault. And uh, so we're working it quite hard. Um, there is tools, there is phone numbers, there's places you can call. Um, just get them, have them available, and uh, make the darn call. You know, just make that call and talk to somebody. So that's what we're doing. Yeah, in Wisconsin, we've got a, the farmer's hotline uh, through the Department of Agriculture, and uh, through the latest budget, too, there were some extra dollars funded to go into a voucher program so, so that uh, farmers that can't afford counseling can certainly uh, get a voucher and, and get that counseling that's needed. And But, you know, as farmers, too, we're very proud people, and we just don't want to acknowledge that we have an issue most of the time. And I think what's going on now, though, is that there's more and more people are realizing, uh, farmers, uh, that uh, that I'm not alone in this. There's many other ones. And so it it's making it a little bit easier, but it still is a struggle for you know, farmers to uh, take their pride in and say, yes, I've got a problem. And But the more we talk about it, I think that's going to make it easier for more and more farmers to get the help that they need. Yeah, I think pretty much every state is trying to do something. Minnesota, we Farmers Union, along with the Department of Ag, we held uh, training sessions throughout the state. And uh, tr how, do you f how do you cite uh, 
how how can you pick it out? You know, that person's having trouble and stuff, and how can you reach out to help them? And so basically, then you know, then there's uh, working with the, not only the Department of Ag, the Department of Health and Human Services. You know, trying to establish networks where people c- can make that phone call and uh, have somebody to help. I, we have a few advocates that uh, I know the the one farmer, the one advocate I've talked to him a number of times, and he said he'll get calls and. It, you know, sometimes it works, but it always helps when he, you know, when the person makes the call. It's the times they don't make the call. So we're making the effort to let that people are aware that there are fo- there are people that they can call. You know, Lane, one of the challenges that we're facing with all this is we're going to lose another generation of family farmers like we did in the 80s. Uh, but this time, I don't think it's going to be just one generation. I think it's going to be two. Um in South Dakota right now, our bankruptcies are are just out of this world. Uh, just especially now, this last month, have just shot shot completely up, almost into the three digits now. So we've we've got some real problems there. Uh, I had a family call me the other day. Um, they're filing bankruptcy, and the 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 son is. I think the the far, the father is probably fifty. 657 the son was like 2022 20, and the son is the one's taking it the hardest i mean this kid is just like all of us grew up on the farm you know loved it always wanted to be a farmer like dad and grandpa and and uh, he's the one that is really taking it hard those are the ones i worry about um, because they're they're going to do things that they probably aren't going to think about and it's going to be too late back in the uh 80s you know people get probably kind of tired of talking about the 80s but it was it it was a time the dirty 30s were there 80s were our time but Montana Farmers Union had and I was not president of course but I came down and helped uh, counsel some of these people we had a grant to uh, replace displaced farmers it was a grant and I'm telling you that when they came in and they said the same thing we're talking about right now 30 40 years ago and it was hard to understand what they were going through, but at least they sat at the table and they faced and they admitted that uh, just what we've been talking about, that we're in trouble, so what can we do? At that time, what, what I was trying to say yesterday in my speech is that we need to get back. It, it's not, it's a big deal. It's, it's, that's true. But there's choices out there that we can help. Farmers Union should be, Farmers Union Enterprise should be able to just put on a program that could show people how to do it. We're not going to buy their farm. You can't do that. But we can show you what you could do. Uh, One one person was a a farmer that was a big farmer, and it was going down through the different generations, uh, son, son, daughter, grandpa, and all this stuff. And they couldn't make it. They could not do it. Big farm, guys. This is a 45,000-acre farm just north of Great Falls here. Couldn't make it. So I'm sitting there listening, and I'm saying, so what do you want to do? And he says, I always wanted to become a crop duster. So there was money enough in there to help him go, you know, not to buy a plane or anything, but to train him to do that. And And he's still doing it now. He still does it now. So, I mean, there are possibilities that we could sure, we have to do that. We can't just say, come in and say, we're sorry for you and uh, things like that. We have to move on these people, what we were talking about. So, Well, I think uh, 
We're going to take a quick sponsor break, but when we come back, I think that's where we need to lead that conversation. The resources that are there, the collaboration that's going on, and the support system that is there uh, to have a bright future. Because I truly believe there will be a bright future. Um, Friends, we're going to take a quick sponsor break. We'll be back right after this. Montana Farmers Union members have elected Geysers Walter Schweitzer to serve as the association's new president. He says he's looking forward to working with the MFU board to address issues like today's trade wars and their impact on family farmers and ranchers. And I'm going to lean on them heavily for their experience and their advice on trying to lead this organization to try to educate our neighbors on the crisis that we're facing. Learn more at MontanaFarmersUnion.com. Hello, this is Gretchen Boyer. I want to invite you to the 2020 Montana Farmers Union Women's Conference, February 21st through the 23rd at Fairmont Hot Springs. This year, we are celebrating Montana women with entrepreneur and founder of Red Ants Pants, Sarah Calhoun. Enjoy workshops on women entrepreneurs, pushing boundaries and breaking rules by Sassy Girl Media, succession planning, suicide prevention, photography, and more. I learn something new each time I attend. To register, visit montanafarmersunion.com. Hey friends, welcome back to our agriculture conversation at the conclusion of the 104th Montana Farmers Union Convention in Great Falls, Montana. Joining us are presidents from various states, uh, Farmers Union organizations, Mark Watney out of North Dakota, Darren Von Rudin, Rudin, is that how, is that how that they're giving you a little grief about out of Wisconsin, Doug Sompke there out of South Dakota, Gary Wirtish, Minnesota, and of Montana's Alan Merrill. Gentlemen, thanks for uh, staying with us here today uh pretty pretty heavy conversations we're having but important conversations uh that have people of all generations of all backgrounds uh whether you live in town or or you live out in the countryside um you know we talked about some tools on mental health we talked about the situations out in the countryside but uh uh, Farmers Union has provided uh, a lot of uh, investment opportunities and resources for their members over the past uh, few decades, and uh, there's a lot of acronyms out there, and I get confused by them too because there's Farmer Union Enterprises, there's Farmers Union Industries. Uh, you've all uh, mentioned Farmers Union Enterprises. Who, who wants to jump in there first? <laughs> Mark's got it. So Farmers Union Enterprises is an organization made up the five states that you introduced here. And uh, we had some very visionary people that uh, put together some business models early on to help farmers with uh, dead animal livestock pickup and uh, other issues that nobody really wanted to do. And and what that translated into is a, a huge company called Farmers Union Industries, which uh, Farmers Union Enterprises owns the vast majority of. So the industries has uh, pet food, it has uh, cat litter, it has uh, um, processing into pet food cans, it has uh, pork slaughter, but uh, the biggest part is the rendering processing. And um, it's a tool that we have uh, where we can uh, develop ideas. And I think you'll hear from each of our states is one of the tools we try to help people with is we start to develop businesses and some of that's done by each individual state and others of it is done within this farmers union enterprise group so we're searching for that value-added concepts where we can extract money from the integrated system of food production or other production where we can get that back in the hands of farmers yeah uh, mark uh, touched on uh, some of the 
businesses that we have, and one of the recent ones, the one that, that we're pretty proud of in South Dakota is uh, Performance Pet. Uh, it's a new cannery uh, that uh, we've developed. It's a state-of-the-art. We've got uh, major companies like Nestle's and Mars coming to our facility to uh, go through it and see how this is going to work because they haven't updated anything in theirs for over 25 years. So there's a there's a reason that uh, everyone's very interested in what we're doing. Um, really excited about it because it's in Mitchell, South Dakota. <laughs> so we're, we're really happy for that. But I got to tell you, if you ever go through, you ever get a chance to go through that plant, I mean, we give tours all the time. Um, and uh, Kevin, the, the CEO there, does a wonderful job uh, talking about the, the transition of where we're at today with the small plant that we have and to the, to the new one that uh, we developed and, and hopefully is going to be up and ru full, fully running by uh, the end of next month. Um, but if you go through that, that old plant and you go through the new one, you'll just be completely amazed on how uh, the robotics is making it safer and, and more productive. Uh, more efficient uh, for the for the workers. Uh, I had a chance to uh, go through the, during our grand opening uh, a week ago, and uh, the workers in the old plant, uh, they're they're. I mean, they work hard. I mean, they they work as hard as any slaughter plant or anything else, and and uh, it's it's not very comfortable conditions. But they're looking so forward to being retrained to to use the the robotics system and not have to use such muscle. Uh, so it's going to be a great thing not only for us but also for our employees as well. And that's one thing that I think our management team has done a great job of is making sure that our uh, our employees are treated well, um, not not just uh, abused. Uh, one thing uh, that's neat about uh, FUE is that they're uh, really long-sighted. They look out and to see the future of uh, businesses. And so that's what I mentioned yesterday when I talked about the industrial hemp. So farmers from all these states right here, they raise hemp. What are you going to do with it? So uh, CBD oil and, and that gets, that's, we're overwhelmed by that. So what are you going to do with all the fiber and things? So. Montana, with we're working as a Farmers Union Enterprise, we're working to get a study going, so possibly down the road. So I'm a farmer and I want to have more income than what winter wheat is doing or whatever else, and I can raise industrial hemp. I have a processing plant, guess what, in Montana, or it could be North, South Dakota, Sydney, Montana. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where it's at. As long as it's helping out the farmers to keep to keep their uh, feet on the ground. So I'm proud of these guys right here and what Farmers Union Enterprise uh, stands for and they're, they're ready to do it. Uh, as, long as, we, uh, as long as we have the, the resources, we will uh, accomplish what we're doing. Now, Mark, you, you brought up here the uh, performance pet. Now, that's a great way to engage with non-agriculturalists as well, I think. <laughs> Yeah, def definitely, and I think that's the key here is is that um, we need to integrate the farmer up the chain. So when you have a, a business model that can uh, start to establish that, and we're actually looking, and we're not there yet. You know, we, we've did a lot of things. We have uh, restaurants and children's books, and uh, FUEs help pay for some of that development. Um, each state gets some of them dollars, but in this scenario, um, we're probably going to be looking for duck production or pheasant production. Uh, uniquely, is the the people that have pets think they 
which is a good thing <laughs> that they feed them specialty products. So you can uh, find another uh, way to extract some premium out of the marketplace by having a variety of pet. So these large companies that Doug talked about are searching for uniqueness in their product lines and we're hoping to connect that directly back to the farmer where they can have a, some production line to their system that would feed into our, our pet food system. Now uh, in Iowa, you have a pork processing facility there. Um, and that's been a big talk, especially across the, 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 the livestock sectors, of course, uh, the packing industries. And in Montana, there's been a lot of packing facilities that have been built. They haven't been successful in the past. I'm not saying that couldn't be in the future. But how, how is that example of the pork processing? Let's just talk more about that because I know so many people want to know more about how producers could maybe create a sustainable co-op for, for beef processing as well. Yeah, uh, this uh, company was already up and running when we purchased it. Uh, there was a family that it was owned by a family and they just wanted out. Uh, there's a new plant uh, being built down in Sioux City, Iowa that uh, they felt was going to be uh, going to take a lot bigger share of the market than they were willing to uh, continue to work for. And uh, so we, we, we purchased it. We've seen some advantages. And it, basically, it's really a, a specialty product. I mean, it's a, it's a niche product that we, we found that would work really good for us because they're, these are hogs that uh, don't normally go through the, the cookie-cutter plants, okay? The, every, everybody has their uh, specs that they want their hog at uh, when it comes into the plant and when it goes out, so it's more uniform. And uh, our hogs aren't that way. Our hogs are big hogs. They're little hogs. They, they're hogs that may have uh, some type of uh, a growing disability, rupture, those type of things. Uh, and, but those are the hogs that we take uh, uh, advantage of. And they're, they're hogs that normally would be just discarded, uh, but we're giving them a price, uh, of course, a discounted price, but a price that's uh, 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 still better than nothing, uh, and it, it makes them sustainable. Um, so. That's been a really good project for us, not without its challenges. Um, the, uh, the plan itself, we've updated, we've expanded it, um, and we've also done the same thing as what we did with the, the pet food, uh, is to put more robotics into it and uh, make it safer for the, for the uh, employee that we have working there. The, the neat thing about that plant, we went through the plant a couple times and uh, if you go through it, you're just amazed. It's just nonstop. Okay, so if you look off, I was standing there, look off to my left, there were heart valves. This is a, this is a, a serious lab right there in this that uh, uses these hog heart valves for us. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought that was amazing. I mean, here all these things are coming in, and they're, they're just different-looking things, and all of a sudden right there somebody's going to possibly get saved from the, the valves. So that, that's a big thing. Yeah, you know, like Alan said, there's other special products like that that come out. And uh, with the, the other industries that we have, like pet food, I mean, there's op opportunities that we could also make pet treats out of some of this stuff, sow's ears, for instance, uh, uh, things like that. Uh, Mark mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, giving farmers or other uh growers uh, opportunity to, to expand or get into maybe duck production, uh, pheasant production, goat production. There's a lot of different unique prop uh, 
products that we could put into this dog and cat food uh, that we could, you know, have people raising it for us and, and again, give them a more connection to the to the farmer. I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we have. I mean, we got a new plant, uh, uh, a fairly new plant up in Aberdeen, beef plant, Aberdeen, South Dakota, uh, that was started by our government. I mean, our governor uh, promoted this and, and we threw a lot of uh, state money to develop this business uh, and was going to be a South Dakota brand. It was going to be a, a local product and we even had identity uh, uh, tags that were special that every farmer that or rancher that wanted to have his cattle in that system had to be inspected and, and up to a certain spec, right? Uh, that didn't pan out so well. Uh, that, that company went broke not once but twice. And uh, so now it's on its third owner, uh, more or less an investor group is what it is and it's working quite well. Um, one of the challenges we have there, uh, they do some custom kill for others, and uh, they're, they're calling it a, a family name product, which is, you know, again, trying to reach out and, and uh, connect the consumer to the, to the uh, farmer. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, they're taking advantage of it just, just like uh, uh, some of the organics have been taken advantage of by some of the bigger agribusinesses. Uh, and, and taking that specialty, uh, that local connection away, just because uh, they, they have a spec that says that the ribeye has to be 12 inches. Well, everyone thinks, well, it came from their farm, right? Not necessarily. Uh, it, it could be any far, anybody's farm, but it's under them specs. And those are the type of things that we've, you know, when you get into the, the slaughter kill business you got to know going forward how you're going to operate that where your product's going to go what kind of price you're going to have it before it comes out and i think uh, what north dakota has done with the restaurants uh, and uh, their specific management skills of not only uh, knowing what they get per meal but what they get for the price of the pea per the meal uh, it, you got to get down to that specific to to make it work really work and uh, i mean i'm proud to say I'm an investor in the North Dakota uh, restaurants and and uh, uh, I, I couldn't be happier anytime I go to the, the to the east coast and and go to one of our restaurants and and sit down and hear the story see the quality of the food see the quality of the service uh, and Mark and his team have done a great job uh, making sure that farmers feel comfortable uh, when they come there and the customer is comfortable and that they're always keeping it full I mean it's 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 just another unique way for family farmers to get their message out and uh, I commend them for their efforts. For our listeners that maybe aren't too familiar with that, uh, Mark, would you elaborate more? Because uh, I have uh, Alan and I have ate at the restaurant there in D.C. Uh, wh what are the names? What are some of those locations? And who had the, the foresight to invest in restaurants outside of North Dakota that truly does reinvest back into your, your farmer rancher members? Well, there was a period of time, probably about 15 years ago, where we were doing much value-added work in all the states here. And uh, what we were learning real quickly was we, we were taking a commodity, ending up with a commodity. And uh, it got to be extremely hard to be in that competitive marketplace and make money. So what happened from that was there was a group of farmers came to the North Dakota Farmers Union and said, you know, we need to own a system where uh, we can profit from multiple levels. And... Uh, what came from that is the concept of being right tied to the consumer and then build a system back to the farm. And uh, so we started with the restaurant. We didn't do it right right away. promise you we made some errors. And uh, finally got it up and running with the right management team. And, and now we have the seven restaurants looking at Restaurant 8. 
Um, there's one or three basically in the D.C. proper area. There's one in Tyson's Corner, Virginia, one in Reston, Virginia. There's one in Montgomery County, Maryland. And then now we have the first one outside of the D.C. areas up in uh, Philadelphia, right outside in the King of Prussia suburb of Philadelphia. So they are, they, they, they talk about U.S. Family Farm, the, if we can, you can't get this perfect. We serve only U.S. Family Farm produced food. Uh, obviously, there's spices, and of course, uh, winter comes on most of this yes. country, so you got to find some things. But, and we have people actually don't tell us a true story. Uh, but what we've done, uh, 200 farmer investors, uh, uh, these states now are all invested. Wisconsin was in early, South Dakota, some folks were in early. So we have about 200 farmers, and uh, we're, we're paying some dividends out. It's uh, starting to work as we had planned, and uh, you know, capital is a challenge, so we can't just build restaurants, and we want to do it right. Uh, but we're going to hold on to the concept. Uh, we're farm to table, but we're also farmer owned, which makes us unique. And I think that uh, kind of brings it all all the way back to the the resources and opportunities you provide your members. Uh, how have uh, how have these investments and time that uh, that the boards and that the members have put into the uh, FUE? the enterprises, how has that come back? Obviously, it's provided opportunities and resources, but how, how is that coming back and helping the, the, the young couple get involved in advocacy and learning more and being successful in the countryside? That's a really good question because uh, um, Darren answered this during our panel yesterday about how it's really helped their organization um, get more advocacy uh, from their office for that young couple. And uh, not only that, but we've also uh, created a, a group called the, the Fuel Group, the Farmers Union Enterprise Leadership uh, Group, and uh, we've had great success with that. Um, basically getting people to understand how they to communicate, become involved in the community, and be leaders. Um, you, you, you just can't be uh, sitting in back and thinking things are going to happen. Sometimes you got to get up and, and take the bull by the horns. And uh, I think we've had very good – I know in South Dakota have very good success with uh, that participation. And, and Darren is actually one of the first class. He came from the first class of that group, and here he is as the president of their organization. So I think that just speaks a lot for itself right Alan, there. Alan, thank you. He's got to step up, and he's got duties, of course, <laughs> at his convention. Thank you, Alan. So yeah, that that's one of the best ways that uh, we have taken that, them funds and made it into something else. Uh, I, I think uh, as far as uh, uh, one of the other opportunities, if you have a unique idea, I mean, this is something Darren and I sat down last night with a young guy here from Montana uh, on the hemp issue. I mean, I learned a lot just from visiting with him and and opportunities and uh, that are out there. You know, not only for him but for other producers like him and so those are the type of things that we can we can do i mean I can tell you what farmers are the most innovative creative uh problem solvers in the countryside i mean i i can think of uh, several products in south dakota and north dakota that were created by farmers uh, in the winter time more than likely because they're you know not out in the field working but they're in the shop creating things this is a problem i had you know this is what i'm working on uh bobcat comes to mind uh horse anderson uh 
cedars come to mind. Uh, I was fortunate enough to actually go to high school with the individual that, that uh, created the horse Anderson and, and uh, moved it over across the, the pond over to Europe. And uh, he's doing great things today, uh, the Anderson family. And, and Kevin is just uh, a wonderful person to be around. And you know, he, he, his creative juices just really uh, inspire you to, to look forward to, to better things. And that's some, those are the kind of things that we're trying to do with our organization, use those funds that were given to us we're standing on the shoulders of individuals that were uh, you know at the time seen as probably pretty visionary uh, but now to us they're giants and uh, I can tell you when I first came here I, my first year was 2005 and uh, we were just starting to put this whole FUI thing together and uh, we didn't have a lot of funds didn't have a lot of resources from those efforts uh, for several years uh, up until you know from 74 till 2005 and after 2005 and we were able to uh, do some very creative things uh, we just expanded i mean it's been crazy to watch it's almost been uh, overwhelming uh, to, to, to some degree uh, to think about where we were, where we're at today with it. I know some of the past leaders, uh, I know Mark has had conversations, some of his past leaders, in, mine in South Dakota as well, they just can't believe you know, that, that, that there can be that kind of resources coming from, from this entity. And uh, it's just, it is, it's hard to explain, but we're trying to do the best thing we can to uh, get it back into the family farmer's hands and doing the best that we can. Like, like Alan said, we can't go buy, uh, take over debt for family farmers, but we can help them do things, every farmer do things better. You know, it, it's a tough time in ag, and tough times always create uh, dialogue, rhetoric with dialogue, um, some frustrations. Um, social media, in my opinion, doesn't help any of this. Um, it gives people a venting opportunity. Um, and we have agriculture organizations across the, the, the entire nation that uh, farms and ranchers uh, belong to different groups. And I always like to say is we have more in common than we have different. As leaders of your state uh, affiliates, what, what are some suggestions or thoughts on how we in agriculture, whether whatever commodity group it is, how can we better work together and still have our differences, opinion, and policy on certain things? How can we work together to better the American agriculture industry and, and family farms and branches? Yeah, it's certainly something that we're working on with the Dairy Together program, as I mentioned earlier, you know, because Wisconsin Farmers Union can't do it alone. Uh, Land and Lakes can't do it alone. Uh, Farm Bureau can't do it alone. We, we have to work together. And, you know, the, the some of the discussions that we're having at board levels uh, is that, yes, we don't agree 100% on everything, but there's a lot of issues that we need to work together on to make sure that uh, family farm agriculture survives. And it's those discussions, I think, are starting to happen a lot more now. Um, you know, there was some of that in the 80s, too, when the crisis came. Uh, but what I hope we can do um, with the leadership in, the, in all the organizations is work this process through for decades, not just for a year or two, one year in crisis. I, I think uh, what Darren said is exactly right. Uh, in the beef industry, though, we've got a huge array of groups that, that see things differently. Um, and uh, I, it pains me to see some of the challenges. I mean, we helped at South Dakota Farmers Union, we helped build the RCAF group. Uh, we were very proud to help do that. We're you know, wonderful to see them gain uh, 
that representation up and down the the country um, but uh, things didn't move as fast as some wanted to see it happen and of course you know you start seeing policy changes and differences and and uh, I think the ch- the real challenge is to take the politics out of the room first of all and talk about the issue that you want to accomplish I mean that's really where it's at and uh, we keep sending, like you said, the, the, the social media is not a help. Um, too many times the, the, the consumers that I talk to say, well, I don't know who I should listen to. You know, which group is telling me the truth? And that, that is really, really the challenge. And we hear that all the time from our legislators and from our congressional delegate, too, is that, you know, if you guys could just get together, you could win this thing. And um, unfortunately, we're, we're down to, you know, uh, less and less people all the time. And so those groups are not only uh, segregated, but there are also less members of them. Um, we, we have to, like you said, we got to pick the battles we want to win, and the rest of them we got to just step aside and say it's not going to happen. Gary. Yeah, well, I know in Minnesota we we have a good, very good working relationship with all the ag groups within the state. And, you know, we try and do that on a national level too. But really in Minnesota we work very well together when, you know, there are some policy issues that are going to differ on. We always will, but we don't beat each other up on them. We we just kind of step aside on that. But, you know, we work it, and it shows. Our, uh, it doesn't matter who's in power as a governor or which political power party is in power. They still always come back to our, us farm groups, and uh, we our voice is very strong. And it's strong because we do work together. And you know, we don't. Uh, you know, if we have the disagreements, we, they're not public, and that that's huge. So, and that it's helped. It's worked very well for us. Mark, final words. Well, I think this is a really important phase to uh, think through of how we can better service our membership by uh, working closer together on the issues certainly that we can agree upon. Um, I will tell you there's a number of great farm organizations and uh, commodity organizations in North Dakota, uh, but we also have a few that uh, forget to listen to the farmer and the rancher. And uh, I've taken it, at least from my perspective of leadership, is that uh, we're going to maintain that grassroots and uh, uh, we are encouraging people to participate and we're doing our best to get that voice of every person that's a member of our organization. And I, I would challenge other organizations to make sure that you're um, not gotten to that point where you forgot to listen. And I think if you listen right now, you're going to hear... Um, some serious stuff and uh, again I'm on the the mode of we didn't just arrive here Um, the issues we face today were escalating for years and and now when we have crisis on hand it makes it worse so we we got to look at the overlying issue facing agriculture and we need some really smart people out there trying to figure out what the solution is any last comments before we wrap up here I heard we're having lutefisk for lunch we're staying. <laughs> I can just assume we have a few Lutherans at this table. <laughs> Catholic, but, oh. Nor- but Norwegians. Oh, so. God. You betcha. <laughs> Catholic? That's probably the first time I've heard about a Catholic Norwegian. No, I'm giving you. Oh, back in the Lutheran days. It is a Sunday recording this show. We can make a service probably at 11 somewhere here. 
Friends, I think this was a great conversation uh, with, with uh, agriculture leaders from across uh, uh, five different states having a great conversation here today about the issues. And uh, I, I think our closing statement said it very well. Um, we, we all need to get along because at the end of the day, consumers, for the most part, they just want affordable food. And we as producers just want to have an opportunity to make a living out in the countryside. So, gentlemen, thank you so much. I'll put links in the podcast description uh, to to all of your state affiliates, and uh, I, I look forward to seeing all of you down the road. And uh, next time we'll have a beer and maybe do this podcast over a nice brew. But, uh, again, thank you so much. Thank you to all of our listeners here on the LaneCast. Thanks for joining the Agriculture Conversation. And I'd also just like to add a big thank you for the 14 years of service that Alan Merrill gave to Montana Farmers Union serving as the president of the association over the past many years helping lead the state's agriculture. And that will do it for today's Agriculture Conversation. I'm Lane Northland. For more, visit me online at northlandcommunications.com. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.